back a do-si-do The way that I rodeo I'd be at heaven's door With you in my arms Would you sashay this way I'd throw you round and say You are too beautiful evening beneath the big sky All of my dreams came true When I found the road to you Montana, your skies are blue There's stars in your eyes This is the last best place Yours is the only too beautiful this evening beneath the big sky Someone said time stands still when you're in love it will my heart is more than filled with your mom and my life so let us celebrate it all of the love we made it Here's to the life you gave us Beneath the big sky Welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. You all are in for a treat today. We featured Jim Salstrom as the music on our show several times, and he is live with us today in the studio. And for the first time ever, we're going to have live music on the Tom Dupree Show. So without further ado, over to our host, Tom Dupree. We've had live music before when I sing. That does you not don't seem count. To count that. <laughs> that I does mean, not count. I don't get this. Okay. This, uh, I need a little more in my headphones. Uh, this group, Mercy Chefs, has been this incredible blessing to us. And... That's how you actually met Jim, to circle back around. I'm, my heart is so full right now. Oh, just take a deep breath, Tom. I, um, take a deep breath. It's a, it's a wonderful organization, and it's connected a lot of people. A lot of people. And, and brought a lot of hope to the world. A lot you know? of blessings. And, and so we were at this... Uh, Donor Appreciation uh, event in November, and it was my birthday, and um, Jim was there because he and Gary and Ann, who started it, are very good friends, and, and he was kind of the wandering troubadour <laughs> playing songs, and uh, I think you had your son with you, too, did you? Yeah, yeah James you, was there. Yeah, yeah. And, and James, and... Um, they found out it was my birthday, and you know, they they played "Happy Birthday." I think more than once to me. At, at the end, it's it was seeming a little bit obnoxious, but not bad. You know, I, I, I we were we were going to sing "Happy Birthday" to you whether gonna, it was your birthday yeah, or yeah, not. And then he starts telling me that he makes up stuff when he's doing a show, and he'll point some guy out and say, "Hey, it's his birthday," you know, <laughs> even if it's not. But Jim. Uh, 
I've gotten to know because we have talked uh, quite a bit and texted. Jim is an old hand in the uh, in the the music business, and uh, he grew up in a place called Kearney, Nebraska, which I knew about from being in the bond business because you know about every little town in every state, and because you buy or sell their municipal bonds sometimes. So, but um, at a very early age, it was. Um, it was determined that the Jim's destiny uh, was music. And uh, so he had several high points in his career, one of which was singing to the assembled uh, Boy Scouts at one of the jamborees in, in the late 60s as a young guy. He and I are about exactly the same age. Uh, and then uh, when he was around, I guess he said 16, he met a guy that uh, sort of changed the trajectory of his musical career for good, and, and that guy was named John Denver. And um, he taught Jim some things, one of which he can tell you about is the drop D tuning on a guitar, which is an open chord where you don't have to really fret it to make a chord. It's playing a chord when you play it. But anyway, the, the, the point is is that Jim and I feel like we are sort of kindred spirits uh, he has gotten, uh, he's told me a bunch of stories over the last two days. Yesterday, we went up to uh, eastern Kentucky to uh, where the Mercy Chefs group are deployed up in um, uh, Hazel Green. And, um, you know, it was, it was really very moving. Uh, they're still helping people from uh, the floods in eastern Kentucky. And... Um, we spent uh, the day before that in Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky, talking to uh, each other, really, and, and then um, learning about this uh, musical group, the Arcadian Wild, that we went to see in Newport. And, you know, who knows, maybe we'll put together something with them as the entertainment. But, Jim, welcome to the Tom Dupree Show. I'm so glad you're here and have been able to spend the last uh, two and a half days in Kentucky. Yeah, well, it's really great to be here, and uh, I'm really um, tickled to be on your show, and, and uh, it, it's, it's been a fun ride. The last couple of days, we've told each other just about everything, including our deepest, darkest secrets, and, uh, and it's Do you want me to share any of those on the... No, uh, but it's been, it's been really fun, and it, it's been like therapy for me, and I've, I needed a little break, and, and uh, boy, I got it. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, we gave some ukuleles away yesterday yeah. and <clears throat> saw some really good folks. We got them all to sing on some songs, and, and uh, they are giving away about 5,000, 6,000 dinners a day. Yeah. And um, they're just hard at it, and they've got this wonderful philosophy and their mission statement. This is Mercy Chefs yeah, we're talking about. Yeah, their, their mission statement is... Um, basically uh, serving hope with a hot meal. And um, they're good people. Gary and Anne LeBlanc have been friends for over 30 years with me. I met Gary and Anne in Breckenridge, Colorado. We lived up there. And uh, I'm originally from, as Tom said earlier, I'm originally from Central America, Kearney, Nebraska. Yeah. I'm Jan and Virg's middle boy. And um, just had a really great life growing up on the Great Plains of Nebraska and uh, doing everything that I could to uh, to learn about music, and 
there's a lot of wonderful music teachers in small towns, and I'm sure there's a bunch right around here in Lexington, Kentucky. Oh, I had and, some. Yeah, it, it uh, changes people's lives. It and, does. Uh, so uh, I've really been grateful that uh, I got to meet John Denver at an early age, and then I was in a band with my older brother, Chuck, and we, we started a band in 71 called Timberline, and we got a record deal with CBS Epic, did an album in Hollywood, and then they put us out as an opening act for Dolly Parton, and uh, that was really fun. It was just fun looking at Dolly Parton, man. <laughs> it was just really cool. And she used to get dressed early and come watch our show, and she really liked our band, and we were pretty tight. We'd, we'd played a lot of shows. We played a lot of little colleges. We played every Holiday Inn in Nebraska and Kansas, and, and uh, lots of frat parties and lots of weddings, and um, we got pretty tight harmony-wise, and... Uh, we sold 55,000 copies of the Timberline album, but it wasn't enough. That wasn't no. enough to keep us going. Well, what are they paying you, a dollar a copy, the record company? I don't take. think they ever paid us anything. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they spent 150000 making the album, and sure. that was a lot of money in 1976. So they're trying to get it back. Yeah, yeah. so um, CBS dropped the band, and we'd been together for eight years, and a couple of the guys, including my brother, they were married and they wanted to have starting a family and it was just the road got really hard. Sure. It, it got really tough. So they dropped us, CBS dropped us. And I got a call about a year later asking if I'd like to audition for Dolly and I just jumped up and down because they wanted a background singer that could play the guitar and banjo and the first tour was Hawaii, New Zealand, Australia, Hong Kong, and Japan. Oh, wow. And uh, I just hoped and prayed that I would get that job and I got it and... I've been with her off and on, um, more off lately, but I've been with her off and on since 1979. And Good Lord. Got to do the Academy Awards show and t three HBO specials and Merv Griffin and Mike Douglas and Ellen DeGeneres and, um, uh, you know, all those shows. Um, Jay Leno, got to do the Carson show three times. And uh, that was really something that was a great experience. My parents had to come out from Nebraska because Johnny Carson was from Nebraska. And just a lot of experiences that I'll never get to do, you know, because uh, without being with a big star like Dolly Parton, those opportunities just, they're really, really rare. And yeah. uh, so I got a, a great education of uh, how to do things and how not to do things. And, and uh, she's a lovely lady. Um, she, you said she writes a song every day. She gets up every morning and she writes a song, and then she's got a studio in her uh, in her compound office, kind of like your studio here. Yeah, she doesn't have Elizabeth running the uh, the board, but she's. Got, I bet her. I would dare say her equipment's probably a little more expensive than ours. Uh, I don't know. She she manages uh, with a Pro Tools set, and uh, she's got a great right hand man on the piano who who she writes songs in three chords. And then he kind of puts in the fancier chords, the tr tr transitional chords, and he plays the piano. She's got a great engineer who plays all the stringed instruments. Richard Dennison is the piano guy, and um, the guy who runs the Pro Tools rig and plays guitar and banjo. They've both been with her for over 40 years. And, and they say they just they know the drill. Tom Rutledge, and then they've got a little ISO booth that she can sing in, and they bring in the background singers, and then they take the tracks and they send them around to other musicians in town. To try to pitch the song for somebody else to... No, to finish the song. They'll send it to the bass oh, player and the you. drummer and then, you know. It seems that you remember um, 
uh, I can't, it's the group's <laughs> leaving me. The one that did with Lee Greenwood, um, where they had, they were at locations all over the country and they videoed them Home doing. free. Yes, they videoed them doing their parts. That's probably what's been going on for a while, but nobody actually videoed it to show the process that it's like goes a, on. putting a, a puzzle together and, um. She's got the world's finest musicians, you know, at her beck and call, and everybody loves her, and everybody wants to. In fact, right now she's um, she's doing a, a project with Stevie Nicks, and she's got one coming up with with uh, Paul McCartney, and Ringo's going to play drums on it. They won't probably be in the same room, but you know they're going to do it. And she's been singing with uh, a lot of different people. She's got a song, the uh, theme song for the uh, 80s for Brady. Um, which is the the new movie that's coming out that Tom Brady is producing? Uh, she's yeah, that's the that. la- the uh, old yeah. elderly ladies uh, that are uh, Rita Moreno and, and Jane Fonda and Sally Field and well, uh, I'll, I'll tell you Lily this, Tomlin. My late aunt, ninety two years old, passed away five six years ago, maybe longer. She was a huge Tom Brady fan. And all the little old ladies that lived in her place where she lived, it was a kind of, they all had their own condos or whatever. They were all Brady fans. Yeah. Didn't she pass away within days after the Super Bowl? Yes, she, she stayed, did. She stayed she, alive like to watch him play alive in the Super Bowl. To see him. And he was with the Patriots at that point, but she was a huge fan. Jim. Um, He's a great guy. Oh, yeah. I've you, played for his family and uh, and him. And he's a great guy. Yeah, he seems to be. Uh, had some tough times lately. It's the problem. And you said something a couple days ago. There's no school for being a celebrity. Right. Yeah. It's a really tough. Uh, it's a tough thing. Um, it's a wonderful blessing and it's a wonderful curse. Uh, it's a terrible curse because there's no anonymity and um, people can't go anywhere without other people just watching them all the time. And with Dolly, she used to go up to the Northwest and take the wig off, take all the makeup off and put on a, uh, you know, a plaid work shirt and, and, uh, she could go anywhere and nobody, because she disappeared, you know, she wasn't, uh, the Hollywood makeup is really something. I mean, it's really something to see. Yeah. But, uh, you know, the thing you have really expanded my horizons by being around you for the last couple of days, but there's a song that you sing that's haunting to me. It's not even your song. I'm going to ask for it though, because, uh, we got about six minutes. Okay. And I'm going to tell you a little backdrop for me. Years ago, I took a trip through California on and it was we were in the very innerest val- most inner valley that's route 385 it goes through a town in california called bishop and this is before the internet before everything i was in the car and i saw something about the white mountains and i started reading and i read about these trees that lived up there that they had determined were extremely old I was right there in Bishop. We tried to find it, and it's not easy to get to. And I'm not sure they want that many people coming up there because they're worried about 
and I think it was closed at the time. They're a little bit worried about uh, somebody being, you know, vandalizing it or, or, or trying to cut a piece of it off right. and taking it home. And so we never got to see these beautiful trees. But you have a song you perform that's about it. And do you mind doing that song? Oh, no, it'd be great. Um, it was written by Hugh Prestwood, who was the songwriter of the year uh, in Nashville. He's an incredible songwriter. And... Uh, I learned it with Michael Johnson, who was a really good friend. We were in the car and learning the, learning the song together. Um, and the bristlecone pines in Colorado and where I live now, uh, they can grow to be, the Rocky Mountain states, they can grow to be 2,500 years old. That's kind of a norm. They can grow up way above the normal tree line. Yeah, they do grow above the tree line. And um, so the ones in Colorado can grow at 14,000 feet. But the tree you're talking about near Bishop, they call it Methuselah. They think it's 4,850 years old. Way up in the mountains on a high timber line, there's a twisted old tree called the bristlecone pine. The wind there is bitter, it cuts like a knife. It keeps that tree holding on for dear life. But hold on, it does, standing its ground, standing as empires rise and fall down. When Jesus was gathering lambs to his fold, the tree was already a thousand years old. Now the way I have lived, there ain't no way to tell when I die if I'm going to heaven or hell so when I'm laid to rest it would suit me just fine to sleep at the feet of the bristlecone pine and as I would slowly return to this earth what little this body of mine might be worth Will soon start to nourish the roots of that tree And it would partake of the essence of me And who knows what's found as the centuries turn, the small spark of me might continue to burn. As long as the sun does continue to shine. Down on the limbs of the bristlecone pine. I have lived there ain't no way to tell when I die if I'm going to heaven or hell so when I'm laid to rest 
it would suit me just fine to sleep at the feet of the bristlecone pine. To sleep at the feet of the bristlecone pine. To sleep at the feet of the bristlecone. a perfect spot. You're listening to the Tom Dupree Show with Jim Salstrom. That was our first. That was spectacular. Well, that was really, really gravelly for me because it's real early and I've got a cold and I haven't talked to anybody yet. And so I'm really embarrassed by the vocal, but it's, vocal what, it's, nice. what, it's what God gave me oh, this morning it, it and I'm happy. Beautiful. I'm happy. All it, right. We got to go to a break. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Stay tuned. We're going to have more live music and more with Jim Salstrom. Stay tuned. Beautiful ship of the sea. 
Welcome back to the Tom Dupree Show. We have Jim Salestrom live in the studio today with Tom. You've heard us talk about Jim, and you've heard Jim's music on the show. We met Jim through Mercy Chefs, and we are so delighted he is here to join us today. So over to our host, Tom Dupree. So Jim Salestrom is a guy that I've gotten to know here and a lot more in the last couple of days. One thing he does, which is interesting, is he has these experiences with people, places, things, and then he writes songs about them. So if you really went through his songbook, um, you would uh, kind of get to know he doesn't he's not really writing songs about himself he's writing songs about other people that he's met that he finds to be fascinating and he puts their and in this case this is about the nautilus he got to go on this little submersible thing and go down and look at stuff and but it takes a gift you know to be able to see the world and then write songs about it this is a, one of the things that jim does really well and i can see how he worked so well with dolly for many years because you know she's the star of the show and he knows how to back up people and make them look good and you know you're making me look good by just being <laughs> on the show today and uh you don't the, need the, the, you don't need no no, no i need every help I, I need all the help i can get let me ask you, talk a little bit about your time with John Denver and just, you know, John Denver, I like Dolly, yeah, but John Denver formed me. I mean, as a 13-year-old kid listening to uh, Country Roads. Yeah, and, for me, it was Jet Plane. That's when Peter, Paul, and Mary did Jet Plane. That, I started yeah, going like, and, and he wrote did, that? He really did that with you, too, in, in many ways. He was a real sweetheart, and I... And then when... Before we get go off, I want you to do every day uh, like you did yesterday, the, okay. the Buddy Holly song, the way John did it. But anyway, talk a little bit about John. Well, I was really a big fan of uh, Simon and Garfunkel and Peter, Paul, and Mary, and I liked the folk music more than I did. Uh, I mean, everybody loved the Beatles, and so I love the Beatles too. But um, Leaving on a Jet Plane came out, and there was a big sound company the third largest sound company in the country was in my hometown. It was called Stanel Sound. And they did sound for Neil Diamond. They did sound for... Uh, this was Lincoln, Nebraska? No, Kearney, Nebraska. Kearney, really. They did sound for everybody. They did sound for Simon and Garfunkel. They did all the presidential campaigns. They did sound for uh, everyone. I mean, Probably everyone. Probably a bunch of engineers or what, something you know, in, a, um, in a little building somewhere. Yeah, and they were also people from all over the Super world good. came in, and they were sound engineers, and that's who I got to hang out with. And our band was playing in Salina, Kansas, and uh, Timberline, and we used to do a set like we'd we'd do a, three sets, and it was like the nitty gritty dirt band. So we dress up for the first set in kind of like goofy velour suits <laughs> and do Elton John and Cat Stevens and John Denver, and then the second set we would dress up in. Um, uh, hillbilly clothes and we play bluegrass you know we did mason prophet and and dirt band music and john denver and then we would go back and change into letter sweaters and we came back into instead of 50s we did 60s rock and roll beach boys and that kind yeah. of thing. oh wow so we did the first so you guys set. had like 400 songs you could do that here. was a really really tight group and um <clears throat> we 
did the first set at this really big club in Salina, Kansas, and the guy called us back in the office, and he said, you're fired. <laughs> and uh, we said, why? And he said, because I do dance music. I don't do this kind of crappy, you know, Elton John, John Denver music, and you're dressed wrong, and you've got bell bottoms and long hair, and, you know, everybody had a Breck haircut back then. He wanted and, a dance band, kind of yeah, like an so orchestra. Or by something. the end of the evening, they were bouncing off the walls, and he came called us all back in the office, and he said, uh, you're not fired. And my older brother said, yeah, you fired us. We're leaving. That's it. We're not going to play anymore. And he did it so that I could go out and be on the sound crew with John Denver. And at 7 o'clock in the morning on that Saturday morning, June 22nd, I think it was, 1972, I was setting up mic stands. I was screwing the bases into the mic stands, and I was nervous. Um, they'd given me a, a union. Where, where was that? In, the, in Nebraska? In, no, in Red Rocks. Red Rocks outside of Denver. Okay. The, the amphitheater. Yeah, yeah. 9, the, the famous seater. place, right. So they'd given me a union guy to help me, and his name was Virgil, and that was my dad's name. So that freaked me out, and I didn't want to <laughs> tell somebody my dad's age, you know, what to do. So I'm setting up mic stands, and I'm going to do the monitors for this show because they just ran out of people. They didn't have enough people. They were doing Alice Cooper at the Hollywood Bowl and Neil Diamond in Portland. And so this guy taps me on the shoulder at 7 o'clock in the morning, and he says, can I help you? And I said, no. These are John Denver's mic stands. This is my job. I've got it. And I didn't even turn around, and it was John Denver. And um, 7 o'clock, and he's looking he, at he the— He was so excited. He's like with the roadies. Yeah, he was so excited because he was going to play for the first time. So the regular road manager, who was his producer also, Chris O'Connor, uh, his sister was getting married, and so he couldn't be at the show. So I ended up being John Denver's road manager. I ended up being the stage manager. I was the gopher. I was the puppy dog that followed him around, and he would say, J jump, and I'd say, how high? You know, and I was just I carried his guitars out. I took the, the tennis balls out, and... And it was an amazing deal. And he looked, he, he, by that time, he knew I was in a band and I was a musician and I loved him. He knew all that. And um, he was such a sweetheart. And he said, you know, I had a big hit song a couple years ago called Take Me Home Country Roads. And I was going, oh, yeah, I know that one. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, he said, so it's been two years. And he said, I've got another album coming out. And he said, if I don't have a hit song on that album, he said, it'll be sort of like the train left the station without me. And he said, it's just the way, it's a cold business, it's tough. And then he looked at me and he almost kind of gave me a wink almost. And he said, but I think I've got it. And he played in the sound check, he played Rocky Mountain High. And then that night, as a full harvest moon came up over Denver, I sat in the very front row in front of the speakers, um, and listen to him play for 9,000 people. And 9,000 people at that concert could tell that something very special had just happened. And that song brought more people to Colorado. And I ended up doing albums on my own, solo albums that, that John Denver's producer produced, Chris O'Connor. I went to about 70 shows. I got to sing with him in concert about a half a dozen times. you know, And I'd get called up to sing. And I sang Rock, Rocky Mountain High with him a number of times. And then... He did an album in Omaha at uh, Chip Davis's studio, and uh, he they called and asked if I'd like to be a background singer on the album, and I got to go and play guitar and banjo, and I got to sing. I got to spend a whole week with him there, and you know I saw I saw him I saw him rise, his star rise, and how he became such a big superstar, and then I saw him also you know um, 
start to kind of plateau and come down. And as you said earlier, as, as Vince Gill said one time, they even quit listening to Elvis. Yeah, you know, it's like there's no school for celebrity, and when you are being adored by you know hundreds of thousands of people around the world, uh, if not millions, it's it's really hard to keep that that balloon floating. And um, he was super super nice to me. He was just, I, I have a whole bunch of stories. Uh, I've got a book out called Just Passing Through, and um, I've got stories about. John that nobody's ever seen or heard. Um, there's a lot of really funny stories, and uh, he was he was a real character. You know, I think something about you that is remarkable is that you have been around, and you're not even getting into some of the other people you've played for, which are in some ways bigger celebrities than some of the musicians that you've been with. I mean, some of the big politicians and, and business people, people that everybody knows about. But the thing that you have been able to do, which really fascinates me, is that you kind of haven't forgotten who you are, or you really haven't. That You're from Nebraska. You're a kid from out in the country in Nebraska. <laughs> the sticks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you don't, you respect and admire celebrity but you're not seeking it yourself. I mean, you, you're, well, you're, I, you know, I think there's a, there's a part of me that wishes I could have, you know, had a shot at it, but I'm really, really super lucky to be a side guy. And, and to, well, would you change listen, anything the way it's been? Not I mean, really. Yeah, I, I was at I a can't lunch. Imagine you would. I was at a lunch that all these guys were like big highfalutin writers and politicians and businessmen. And they said, Jim, You've got to meet this guy, and you got to talk to him because he's from Nashville, and you're you know a lot about Nashville. And so I looked at this guy, and he looked at me, and I went, "Oh gosh, it's Garth, it's Garth Brooks." And they said, "You got to play him a song." And I looked at Garth and I said, "You know what, Garth? I'm going to give you a gift. I'm not going to play you a song." <laughs> and they said, "You got to sit next to him and tell him stories about Dolly and tell him stories about John Denver." And I said, "Garth, I'm going to give you another gift." I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and he was looking at me like, boy, you're weird, you know? Yeah. Like, everybody wants to talk to me. And I was just, oh, and they said, you got to stay for dinner. You'll sit next to Garth. And I looked at Garth, and I said, I can't. I've got another commitment, and I, I really admire you, and I know how hard you've worked to get where you are, and you're a brilliant songwriter and a marketing genius. And I said, I'm going to give you a third gift. I'm going to go away. <laughs> yeah. That that's See, that's, <laughs> well, anyway. No, but you know, it's just like it's like everybody wants I, a piece of these people, and it's it's like Livingston Taylor told me that, you know, I James I met, Taylor's brother. Yeah, I met James, and uh, James was not all that. He was not having a great day, and he didn't really want to talk to me. And all I wanted to do was say, I I'm really good pals with your brother, and I play with him a lot, and that's all I wanted to say. But you could tell that James kind of he kind of blew me off. You know, it was just sort of like, see ya. If you see my brother, say hi. And um, Livingston said that the reason that that happens is that James will be sitting in a restaurant and he'll be having, you know, his, his soup. He'll be having the soup for part of the dinner. And somebody will come up and say, James Taylor, it was 2 o'clock in the morning. My wife went into labor. I've got your recording on. And they'll tell like a 25 or 30-minute story about how their child was born to his album. And James says, you know, looks up and says, that's really fascinating. I could I have my soup now? Could I could I go back to my soup? And all he wants to do is have his soup. And everybody 
they don't want to hear James Taylor's story. They want to tell James their story. And that's a real, that's a real common mistake, I think, that people make with celebrities is they, they, they want to connect with them because that person is connected with, you know, with, with the fan. And uh, I think it's, it's sort of sad in a way because, once again, the anonymity part goes away. They, they become recluse because they can't, or reclusive is the better word, because they can't go anywhere or do anything without somebody watching them. And, uh, and that's, that, that's a real trade-off. You know, it's, it's great to have the private jet and entourage and handlers and people that, you know, tell you where to go and hit the step, hit the mark. But look, you know, if you've seen the Elvis movie, it was a really sad life, you know, and he gave up. He just said, send the doctor up. I'll go do it. You know, send the doctor up. Can you tell the story about the chili dog in the, uh, uh, it, it, you, oh yeah. You can tell a, it quickly. A, fr- a friend of mine uh, worked for United way and he went up to Seattle and gave a talk. He was the keynote speaker. He was from grand Island, Scott Zana. And he went down to the cafeteria and this man comes up behind him and he's wearing a, a kind of a nerdy sweater and, he says, gee, Mr. Zana, I liked your ideas. Could I join you for lunch? And Scott Zana looked at him and said, you're Bill Gates. <laughs> and Bill Gates says, yeah, well, yeah, I am. And so they get in line to order lunch in the cafeteria. And Scott Zana, they said, the lady said, what would you like for lunch? And Scott Zana is kind of embarrassed. He says, well, I really was thinking about a chili, a chili dog with fries and a Coke. And she says, okay, fine. And then she looks at Bill Gates. And she says, what would you like? And Bill Gates goes, I would love a chili dog with French fries and a Coke. That would be great. And so they get to the cash register and to check out. And Bill Gates goes, oh, no. And my friend Scott Zana said, Turn, turns to him and says, please tell me you don't have any money. And, and Bill Gates goes, I've got a guy who drives me around. He's always got the, the credit card or the money. And he's not here right now. And Scott says, oh, please let me buy you lunch. Because that story is just, you know, it's a great story. You know, here's one of the richest men in the world. And he wants, he's blown away that nobody's watching him. And he can have a chili cheese, chili cheese dog, French fries and a Coke. And then he doesn't have any money to pay for it. Isn't that a great That's story? That's fantastic. Yeah. But it, 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 so one of the things that I've learned from you is that, that big time celebrities and people like that, they're just normal people. They're put into some very, uh, as you say, situations that nobody can train them for. And then we as voyeurs in our society watch them rise and then we watch them fall. It's almost like there's a side of us that enjoys seeing people that have gotten up real high well, fail. T- Tom Dupree, let me tell you something. Lots of people like to go to the car races to watch them crash. Yeah, I know. You know, and it, it is sad. It is sad. And a lot of people don't handle it. And that's why some people check out. They check out early because they can't handle it. You, you can't know? blame them in a no. way. Okay, so. All right. Want to so, hear about so, the drop detuning? Let me say one thing. Are you going to play that Buddy Holly song? I'd do it if you let me show, show you this. Well, can I say one thing? Sure, of course. You're, it's your show, man. Well, when I, <laughs> no, I'm going to get you right back to you quick. But when I was in Houston, Texas, at Rotan Mosley, one of the places I called on the banks was Lubbock. So you get into Lubbock and you drive around. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the town, you come to this plaza. And there's about a 22-foot-tall statue of Buddy Holly with his guitar in, in kind of in the middle of Lubbock, Texas. So go ahead. All right. Well, 
Um, I love Buddy Holly, and I had a brand new Martin guitar. I'm a Martin artist. I believe in Martin guitars. They're they're uh, the oldest luthier in our country. And John played my brand new D41 Martin. I'm gonna let you play us on out of here, Jim. Okay, We've got about and, uh, two and a half minutes. Okay, that's no, good. we got so, three and a half. All right, that's fine. But I want to tell this story. He takes the guitar and he goes, Jimmy, do you know about the drop D tuning? I said, said no. So that's the normal tuning. He said, you tune the bottom E down to D. I'll do it again. That changed my life. Because I could play a lot of John Denver songs. Then John played this song. Every day It's getting closer Going faster Than a roller coaster Love like yours will Surely come my way Hey, hey, hey Every day It's getting faster Everyone said Go ahead and ask her Love like yours will surely come my way. Hey, 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 every day seems a little longer in every way. Love's a little stronger, come what may. Do you ever long for true love from me? Every day It's getting closer Going faster Than a roller coaster Love like yours will Surely come my way Hey, 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 hey Love like ours will Sure be here to stay Every day. Thanks, Tom Dupree. Thanks, Jim Selstrom. Every day. Thank you, Elizabeth Dupree. You are a delight. Every day. Thank you, Lexington. Yeah. Kentucky. You are a true pro. You take me right on. Dead on where I need to be. You are listening to the Tom Dupree Show. We've had our special guest, Jim Salestrom, S-A-L-E-S-T-R-O-M. Look him up. Go you listen to some more of his music. you got to come up with another jingle now. <laughs> yeah, well, done. He is just absolutely, his music's delightful. He's delightful. Tom Dupree, Tom Dupree, Tom Dupree, Tom Dupree. We're going to have a new Tom jingle Dupree, for the show. Tom Dupree. Everything's coming up, Tom Dupree, Tom Dupree, Tom Dupree. <laughs> <laughs>